if you have a Bible, and I hope you do, the beauty of the gospel is that God has saved us. He's freed us from the power and the penalty of sin. He's put us in Christ, who's now our life. So we've got to together, surrender our lives, and say, our lives are yours, and we're your servants. It's not radical version of Christianity. This is biblical Christianity. It's what it means to be a follower of Christ. We don't call the shots. He calls the shots. The Radical Together Podcast, with teaching from David Platt. Welcome back to the 20th episode of Radical Together. And if you're new to this podcast, you can listen to all the previous episodes at Radical.net or by subscribing on iTunes. Today, we're sharing another sermon that David preached just a few weeks ago at the Southern Baptist Convention in Columbus, Ohio. This message is entitled, The Future of SBC Missions in North America and the Nations. If we are not careful, numbers and statistics like we just heard can become commonplace to us, and we can become cold toward them. 82% of the Northeast is lost. 87% of the West. 90% of Canada. Oh, nine out of ten people in that country are going to hell. That's interesting. Or India. A billion people right now are on the way to a never-ending torment. Many have never heard how to have eternal life. And we find ourselves wondering what's for lunch today. So I want to bring five truths to bear on what we just heard. And this is the first one. The stakes are high. Do we realize what we're talking about right now in this room? These numbers can't become commonplace to us. We're talking about men, women, and children just like you and me who at this moment are headed to hell. We're talking about the glory of the triune God whose bow of wrath is bent toward them. Darkness is not just cool imagery for creative presentation. It's a real destiny for billions of people. Outer darkness, Jesus says in Matthew twenty-two thirteen, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth forever. Forever. Revelation 14, 11 describes how the smoke of sinners' torment will go up forever and ever. Thomas Watson said, thus it is in hell. They would die, but they cannot. The wicked shall be always dying, but never dead. The smoke of the furnace ascends forever and ever. Oh, who can endure thus to ever be upon the rack? This word ever breaks the heart. So does it break our hearts? Or do we grow numb to this? Jesus never grew numb to this. He knew the stakes were high. That's why he urged people to repent. Gouge out your eye if you have to. Just avoid the place where the worm doesn't die and the fire is never quenched. People say, well, do you really think that's literal? Literal fire? Isn't that just a symbol? But think about it. Even if 
fire is just a symbol, which I'm not saying it is, but even if it was, then what would eternal fire be a symbol for? A winter retreat? Summer vacation? Burning fire is not a symbol for a nice place to be. Burning fire is a symbol for a terrifying place to be. Besides the fact that the whole point of a symbol is to express in words a reality that it can't be expressed in words. And so we've got words like fiery agony in Mark 9:48, conscious pain, Luke 16:22, divine destruction, 2 Thessalonians 1:9. Who who among us can grasp the everlasting horror of hell? It was said that George Fitfield would speak with tears in his eyes of the torment of burning like a livid coal, not for an instant or for a day, but for millions and millions of ages, at the end of which people will realize that they're no closer to the end than when they've first begun, and they will never, ever be delivered from that place. Brothers and sisters, Be not casual and be not cold. This is real. Stakes are high. There's real eternal wrath awaiting 90% of people in Canada and 87% of people in the West and 82% in the Northeast and a billion people in India and on and on. We don't have time to waste our lives and lead our churches in casual, cold, comfortable, cultural Christianity. The stakes are way too high for that. Way too high. Stakes are high. Second truth the gospel is good. The gospel is so good. Yes, the bow of God's wrath is bent toward them, but the pulse of God's heart beats for them. He desires, 2 Peter 3, 9, he desires, he wants them to be saved. He wants them to be saved so much that 2,000 years ago, he sent his son to spare them. On a criminal's cross, God slayed his son for sinners. He willed to crush him, Isaiah 53, 10, in our place. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. He was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Our chastisement was put on Christ, and by his stripes we are healed. Colossians 2.14, Jesus has canceled the record of debt that stood against us with its demands. He put it aside, nailing it to the cross, and he has disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. Jesus has risen from the dead. We're not talking resuscitation, reincarnation. We're talking, not talking, go to heaven, come back, write a best-selling book about it. We're talking dead for three days and then walking around alive. We're talking you go to a funeral uh, tomorrow and you see a man's body put in a coffin and then laid in, uh, in the ground and then dirt poured over it and you walk away. And then later this weekend, that same guy comes up to you on the street and says, hello. That's unusual. The divine savior has defeated the deceptive snake. The sovereign king has conquered sin and suffering and death forever. This is the greatest news in all the world. This gospel's good. So good that it will save men, women, boys, and girls where these missionaries and church planners are going. 
to missionaries and church planners spread out across this room, do not forget this, brothers and sisters. You are not being sent out today in dependence on your own power or your own creativity or your own ingenuity or your own word. You are being sent out in dependence on his power and his word. And his word will prove powerful. So we urge you to resist every temptation to dilute or dumb down the gospel in order to make it more palatable to Muslims or Hindus or animists or atheists. The message of of sinful humanity and a suffering Savior is not palatable to people's flesh. But be sure of this. It will prove powerful to people's salvation. So hold tightly to it. Cling to it. Obey it. Make sure that it's his word that's driving you. Resist. Resist every temptation toward missional pragmatism that exalts human strategies above divine scripture. Never forget, biblical theology drives missional methodology. The Bible determines what we believe and how we work. We never look to scripture for permission to do what we think is best. We always go to scripture for direction to do what God has said is best. Always remember, your fruitfulness in the world will be dependent on your faithfulness to the word. So obey it, proclaim it with confidence, knowing that the God who saves you with this gospel has sent you with this gospel from the churches that you have been a part of. That's the third truth. The church is central. Mention, it's one of our aims in calling this a church and missionary sending celebration to highlight the role of the local church in planting churches across North America and around the world. Over a hundred years ago, George Pentecost said, to the pastor belongs the privilege and responsibility of the missionary problem. And what he was saying was, mission boards can and should do what they will to devise methods, fuel movements, raise money, but he reasoned that it's the responsibility and privilege of every pastor to fan a flame for God's global glory in every local church. And I'm convinced he's right. Without question, one of the reasons I was personally hesitant to step out of the pastorate into this role, and I know Kevin as well, because the local church is the center of global mission, and we have a dangerous tendency to miss that particularly in denominational missions, where we are prone to look at mission from the top down instead of the bottom up, where the IMB or NAM, for example, looks down at churches and says, just, if you'll just send us money and send us people, we'll take care of mission for you. And churches almost unknowingly begin to farm out mission to missions organizations. But this is not the way God designed it. You look through the pages of the New Testament and you won't see the International Mission Board or the North American Mission Board anywhere. Instead, you'll see local churches like Antioch worshiping and fasting and praying and the Spirit saying, set apart for me Saul and Barnabas for the work to which I have called them. And the church laying hands on them and sending them out. Paul goes out on three missionary journeys from there. First two times he comes back to that home base for him, the church at Antioch. Third time he doesn't come back. Why not? Because he wants to get the gospel to Spain where they've never heard the name of Jesus. And so what does he do? He writes a letter to another church, the church at Rome, to say, let's get the gospel to Spain. It all revolves around the role of the local church, God's chosen agent for the eventual accomplishment of the Great Commission. And that is what is driving Kevin and I both from our respective positions. We want to say to 46,000 Southern Baptist churches, you exist for mission, we exist to help you accomplish it. I've heard Kevin say many times, the North American Mission Board pastors are our customers. 
Because when a pastor gets a heart for church planting, it changes the entire ballgame. And I would say the exact same thing from the perspective of the International Mission Board. When pastors get a heart for global mission, it changes everything. When pastors rise up and take responsibility and experience the privilege of leading a church on global mission, leading a church to pray for a mission, and pastors are teaching their people to take their place on their knees as partners with God and what he's doing around the world. When pastors are showing their people that they can be a part of what God is doing in the Northeast and the Southwest and Sub-Saharan Africa and Southeast Asia every day from their prayer closet. When pastors are modeling that before their people as they gather together weekly and pray for the needs of the nations in worship. Everything changes when a pastor is leading his people to pray for the nations and to give to the nations. What if God actually wants his gospel known among all peoples? Might he give his people unprecedented wealth in the history of the world to make that a reality? This is exactly what he's done among us. We shepherd churches in one of the wealthiest places in the history of the world. So let's show our people why God's given them wealth for the spread of his worship. Let's lead them to give sacrificially, generously, regularly, cheerfully for the spread of the gospel in the world. And then let's lead them to go, whether it's short-term, mid-term, long-term. Let's shepherd people on mission. Pastor, when was the last time you led your church to fast and pray and worship and to ask God, who are you setting apart from among us to plant a church in North America, to be a missionary overseas? Surely God is sending somebody. And the beauty is he's going to send them through you, through your church. And I want to be clear. When I'm I'm talking about church sending missionary here, I'm not talking primarily or even necessarily about financial support. We're going to talk about ways missionaries get overseas financially in just a minute. That's the beauty of this convention of churches. I'm simply talking about ownership for setting apart missionaries from your church. Might God be calling your congregation to lay hands on some man, some woman, some family to send them out in the power of the Spirit for the spread of His glory? I urge you, Pastor, don't underestimate what God wants to do in your local church for His global glory. And then to think about it, because this is when the power of the convention comes into play. Because as this church is sending a missionary and that church is sending a missionary, not one of our churches can do this alone. So now IMB and NAM make sense. NAM facilitates where church planners go, what they do in a concentrated effort across 32 city centers. With IMB, IMB, we bring global research and 170 years of mission experience to bear on where missionaries might go and what they might do in order to most effectively engage unreached people with the gospel. And so we help you train those missionaries and church planners before they go. We support them as they go in all sorts of ways as you send them. And not just as you send them, but as you shepherd them, as we heard just a moment ago. Yet one more reason why the local church must be central in the Great Commission, because the local church is uniquely able to shepherd and care for missionaries and church planters as they go. Now be sure, as a church sends a missionary through the IMB, for example, we want to provide support and security and stability through systems and structures we've got all around the world. We want to care well for them, but there is no substitute for the care of a local church. I was talking with one of our missionaries recently who told me that every week his teenage son who's been struggling on the field, every week his son gets an email from their pastor back home encouraging him. 
telling him he's praying for him. That's something only a local church can do. The kind of shepherding that God has designed for his sons and daughters through local churches. This is what Kevin and I are working toward. Neither of us has any desire to usurp the role of the local church in the Great Commission. We want to serve the local church. Which is why I'm excited about just greater, more intentional partnership between us in the days ahead. Because this is both of our hearts. We believe there are so many ways we can better serve churches alongside one another. Both collectively and then respectively. Knowing that the more people are looking through their lives through the lens of disciple-making here, the more spending their lives making disciples overseas will make sense. The stronger our churches here are here as we're planting them, the stronger our churches will be as we're planting them around the world. This goes together. Nobody's going to become a disciple-maker in a plane on the way overseas. There is no such thing as transformation by aviation. It doesn't work. So we've got to connect what God's doing here with what God's doing there. All in addition to how God, as Kevin mentioned, has brought the nations to us. So why would we not connect the work of Christ among Kurds in Nashville with the work of Christ among Kurds in northern Iraq? So I praise God for the various changes that Kevin has made in Nam, aimed at serving the church effectively. And we're in the process of doing the same things in the IMB to revamp all of our posture and structure to say to Southern Baptist churches, we want to serve you as the center of the Great Commission. We want to create an entire training model that's focused on training churches to be global mission centers, pastors to be global mission strategists, and then helping facilitate the work of thousands and thousands of churches most effectively getting the gospel to those who have never heard it. So that missions is happening from, not from the top down, but from the bottom up. We're coming up under you, lifting you up to your God-ordained position as a local church in his global plan. We'll get back to David's message in just a minute, but I want to take a moment to invite you to be a part of the Send North America Conference on August 3rd and 4th in Nashville, Tennessee. The Send North America Conference is a two-day gathering of the church in North America. And the heart of the gathering is to see a movement of people from within the church living out the mission of God in their everyday lives. We hope you will join David and other leaders like Russell Moore, Matt Carter, J.D. Greer, and many more. You can get additional information and register for Send North America at sendconference.com. And we hope this podcast has been a helpful resource for you. And if you're interested in additional resources from David Platt, visit Radical.net. There you can find audio and video sermons, blog posts, and additional information about catalytic events like Secret Church. Now here's David with the rest of today's message. Just imagine the effect of tens of thousands of Antiochs, churches of all sizes, with all kinds of different members and leaders and gifts, worshiping and fasting and praying, and the Spirit of Christ setting apart limitless missionaries and church planners. And I use that word limitless intentionally. Fourth truth, the opportunities are limitless for doing this. The opportunities, hear this, are limitless for sending missionaries and church planters all over the world today. As president of the IMB, I praise God for the 4,700 missionaries we have around the world. I praise God for every single one of them. But when I look at the history of missions in the church, I see the Moravians, for example. It was said of the Moravians that one out of every 92 of them were crossing cultures for the spread of the gospel. One out of 92. Can you imagine if that ratio were happening among us today? I mean, they say we have about 15 and a half million members. And I know how pastors are sometimes with numbers. So 
let's just assume uh, 10 million of those people are actually alive. And uh, followers, and it'll make the math easier. If that ratio among the Moravians was happening on Southern Baptists today, that would be over 100,000 missionaries. But we're not even thinking in those kind of terms. And we've got to start thinking in those kinds of terms. We've got to start thinking through how we can. I mean, I read uh, over somewhere over the last nine months that we've had in the history of the IMB about close to 25,000 missionaries go out from Southern Baptist churches, which is awesome. But the reality is we need 25,000 now. Which leads to the question, well, how do you do that? I just heard you, heard you say you don't have the money to support the 4,700 missionaries we have now. So how can we get 100,000 or even 25,000? I'm glad you asked. Because when you look at the Moravians, you'll see they weren't doing this because they had a well-financed, sophisticated mission board. Instead, they were taking advantage of the opportunities God had given them for the spread of the gospel around the world. They intentionally looked for ways to use their professions, their gifts, their skills to go into places where the gospel was most needed. They moved their families to work in places where the church didn't exist. Some of them even sold themselves into slavery. They got on slave boats because they knew they'd have opportunities to share the gospel in countries where they would work as slaves. And if the Moravians were doing that centuries ago, how much more should we be doing this today in light of the globalization of today's marketplace? What if God has designed the globalization of today's marketplace to open up opportunities for the spread of his gospel? You think about the opportunities that exist for men and women across our churches. The other day I was on a plane uh, with a guy who, who uh, recognized me, started talking with me um, from some Bible studies he did, video Bible studies, and uh, his name was Hugh. Hugh's from Demopolis, Alabama. Anybody from Demopolis, Alabama? crickets. Well, so nobody's from Demopolis. Demopolis is no metropolis. I can tell you that. This is small town, Alabama. And uh, I said, Hugh, where are you traveling? He said, I'm traveling to Mexico City. I said, oh, really? What are you doing there? He said, well, I have a lumber business and we're expanding into Mexico City. I said, oh, really? And he's traveling with his uh, 24-year-old assistant who is fluent in Mandarin and Spanish. And I said, well, do you have business in other countries? He said, oh, yeah, we're in China and in Indonesia. We're looking to get into Malaysia and uh, working to get into Dubai and the Middle East. I said, Hugh, have you ever thought about how God's blessed you, not just for the spread of lumber, but for the sake of the gospel, going to all these places to the platforms you have? We began this conversation. I just got off the plane thinking, there's Hugh's all over the Southern Baptist Convention. There's Hughes all over the churches represented just in this room alone. People that God is giving opportunities for the spread of the gospel. So what if we stopped just thinking about missionaries in terms of people who leave their jobs to go overseas and began to think about missionaries in terms of people who leverage their jobs to go overseas? I think about one couple from Brook Hills where I was pastoring a He's a teacher, or he's an engineer, she's a teacher. They came to me one day and they said, uh, you know, pastor, I don't know if this counts as being a missionary, but uh, we figured out we could uh, teach and do engineering in this country in Asia where they don't, have very, they don't have churches or the gospel. So we're thinking about going and getting a teaching and engineering job there. Do you think that's okay? I said, I don't care what you call it. You're going to that country. This is, the opportunities are limitless and the appetite is there. I read an article the other day that said 71% of graduating millennials expect and want to work in an overseas assignment at some point in their career. 
And companies are specifically tailoring job assignments accordingly. Now, you think about it. That changes the way we send students off to college. We don't just send them to get a degree so they can get a job and coast things out in cultural Christianity until they get to heaven. We send them to college. They're thinking, what kind of degree can I get that will open doors for me to spread the gospel in this part of the world or that part of the world? What kind of education or experience is going to help me get a job in North Africa or the Middle East or Central Asia? And you put all this together, now you got people who are working all over the world intentionally for the spread of the gospel, and who's paying for it? The nations are paying for it. The nations are unknowingly funding a mission force for the glory of our God. This changes the way we think about our work and our studies. And, you know, along those lines, you think about all the opportunities that exist for students to study overseas. I read another article recently that talked about the, the, uh, just a whole list of universities, tons of them globally, where students, American students can come and study tuition free. They'll cover housing, all these, um, just full scholarships for students to come and study in universities around the world. They can get their entire degree in English while living in the midst of all kinds of different people groups. That's professional students, retirees, who realize that Uncle Sam won't just pay them to live in South Florida and play golf, but they can actually use Uncle Sam's money to live in South Africa and spread the gospel. Do we realize the opportunities that God has divinely orchestrated for us to make disciples and multiply churches around the world? The question is, are we going to take them? Are we going to let our minds broaden And in our churches, begin to say to people, global mission is not a compartmentalized program in the church for a select few people who are called to that. The glory of God among the nations is actually the reason you have breath on the planet. And so how can we all think through our gifts, our skills, our experience, our education, and look for opportunities for the spread of the gospel around the world? And this is where I want to bring to the table this final truth. Stakes are high, the gospel's good, the church is central, the opportunities are limitless, and the time is now. The time's now. On recent time in the Lord, with the Lord, in my Bible reading plan, I came to James 4. These verses on how God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. It's one of those moments where you just pause in your Bible reading and just... Just asking God to remove more and more the pride that so pervades my heart. And then when I finished asking the Lord to do that, I went back to reading and I came to that humbling verse in verse 14. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. And there in my quiet time, as a man, as a husband, as a dad... And in the position I find myself in, I was reminded that I'm not here for very long. And neither are you. Not one of us is guaranteed to lay our head on our pillows tonight alive. Not one of us is guaranteed today, much less tomorrow. So brothers and sisters, let's make it count. Let's make our lives and our churches and this convention of churches count. People tell me, you need to be careful in opening up pathways for more missionaries because of this reason or that reason. And I want to be sensitive to those reasons. I want to be wise. But what's our alternative to keep telling Southern Baptists no? 
We can't keep doing that. We can't ask the Lord of the harvest to send out more workers into his harvest field and then when he answers, tell them, not with us. Other people say, well, just raise more money and I want to see more money come in through the cooperative program, through Lottie Moon, Annie Armstrong. But again, that's just incremental change. The stakes are too high. The gospel's too good for us to settle for incremental increases in Southern Baptist church planters and missionaries. We want to see exponential increases in church planters and missionaries. We don't need to open the door for a hundred more people to engage the nations with the gospel. We need to open the door for tens of thousands more people to engage the nations with the gospel. Wouldn't we, don't you want that? to be our legacy? Don't we want God? Are we, don't we cry out for God to bring a Moravian-type mission movement among us so that our legacy might be a convention of churches who send thousands, tens of thousands of God-exalting, Christ-following, spirit-led, biblically faithful, people-loving, high-quality missionaries and church planners across North America and the nations for the sake of God's fame. Because it's not just you and I in this room who aren't guaranteed tomorrow. It's 82% of people in the Northeast who are lost. And it's 87% of the people in the West who are lost. And the 90% in Canada who are lost. And the billion in India and on and on. They're not guaranteed tomorrow either. We don't have time to waste. Not when, not when 900,000 people are plunging into hell every single month in China alone. Not when millions of Syrian refugees right now are more open to hearing the gospel than they have ever been before. Not when earthquakes are ravaging Nepal. Not when ISIS and Boko Haram are ripping apart the Middle East and West Africa. Not when little girls are being trafficked for sex in hell on earth. Not when all these people haven't even heard of hope of heaven. We don't have time to waste. So let's make our lives, our churches, and this convention of churches count now. Not tomorrow. We're not guaranteed tomorrow. Today. As IMB, NAM, as every other entity and every local church across the SBC. Let's unite together around this good gospel in view of these high stakes and in light of limitless opportunities God's given us to send and shepherd church planners and missionaries around the world. May the urgency of this mission mark us. May our light shine amidst the darkness and may our mist count while we've still got time. That's all for today's episode of Radical Together. Thank you for joining us. For more resources from David Platt, including those in other languages, visit Radical.net. And don't forget that you can get information and register for Sin North America at SinConference.com. And for more information on the International Mission Board, visit IMB.org. Join us next time for more teaching from David right here on the Radical Together podcast.